Welcome back, everyone, to On Campus with Miss T. I am your host, Miss T. I'm your co-host, David. And this is episode 14. Yeah, 14, 14. Yes. And we'll be diving into um, the topic of special education again, but this time kind of narrowing it, I guess, to um, placement within special education. What do you mean by that? We will go into that in a minute. But before we go into our actual topic, we will do our rewind, right? Which is what we always do. Um, and for this one, I just kind of wanted to clarify something that I said in one of the other episodes, I guess. Because um, I realized afterwards, and I was kind of like thinking back on it, that I kind of contradicted myself. You always do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was the one about um, like child sexual abuse. And then I think I had said that my first like <laughs> sexual harassment encounter was when I was in second grade on the school bus. But then I went on to talk about like walking home from school in like first grade and being like catcalled and stuff like that, which could be considered harassment as well, right? Yeah. So I guess my first experience would have been younger than second grade, which would be like experiencing catcalls and that weird kid trying to like abduct me or whatever that was, right? Um, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily sexual though, but um, the catcalls would have been the first harassment experience and I guess my first like sexual abuse experience would be in second grade but I think like well I'm not really sure what the differences are I guess between those two terms uh, I'm not sure either um so that was part of the reason for the contradiction, I guess. And the other part of it, I think, is just that I hesitate to call it sexual abuse. Like, it's kind of hard to, like, accept that, if that makes any sense. Like... That it happened? I mean, I... Technically, I guess, the sexual abuse victim or, like, survivor, right? If that was sexual abuse. I don't know. In some way, right? So, like, that's kind of, like, it's weird for me to think of myself in that way. Which is part of the reason for that. Um, for me, like, saying <laughs> it or phrasing it in that way before. If that makes any sense to anyone. <laughs> I think, I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of lost as to what you're talking about. Okay, so specifically, wait, what do you mean about what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just lost. Like About what? What you're, I don't know. I guess what you're saying is what applies to you as sexual abuse? To Yeah. And it was, it's hard for me to view it as sexual abuse 
or to view myself as a sexual abuse victim or survivor, whatever you want to call it, whatever the proper term is. Yeah. Which is part of the reason for that contradiction in the way that I phrased those two experiences in the other episode. So, I don't know. I just don't know what I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing the actual scenarios. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know one of them, right? I just said it, like being catcalled and stuff on yeah. my way to school. Um, but the one on the bus, I guess if I have to be specific about it for you to understand, it's um, in second grade, I had to start taking the school bus because my mom, like I, I went to a school that was not the local school because my mom got me into a... Um, you don't have to talk about it if you want to. Math magnet. Well, if no one's understanding it, then what's the point of me even saying anything in the first place? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got into the math magnet program, right? So I had to take the school bus to school. My mom couldn't take me. She was working. Um, so on the school bus, there was this one kid. And like, at first, I would like sit like towards the middle or towards the back, right? Until I encountered that one kid. And at first it was just kind of like, like always trying to talk to me or like, like trying to sit next to me or whatever. And then one day he sat next to me and then I was like trying to ignore him, like looking out the window because he would always bother me and stuff. And the next thing I know, he had his hand on my shirt and was like feeling around in there. And I was like, what the hell? So I like pushed him away. And then I got up and I, like the bus was still moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so like I got up and I walked over to where the bus driver was and I sat like right behind her. And I sat right behind her for like the rest of elementary school, pretty much. Or whoever the bus driver was. Right. And she didn't really like like she didn't see what happened or anything. But like she kind of looked at me and she was going to like like tell me to like sit down or tell me something. But like I think she kind of saw it in my face that like something had happened or I don't know what so like she she was just like okay like she gave me a look like it's fine like you can sit there but um but yeah so that was the experience that I had well first experience that I had with actual like physical stuff not just like verbal things yeah but I think it's pretty common I don't know that a lot of people really talk about it because it is uncomfortable even just that one story for me to like talk about <laughs> right yeah and it is weird to kind of look at yourself in like from that perspective like in that light where it's like I was sexually abused or whatever you know what I mean um but I think it does happen a lot like pretty much every female that like I've known enough to where they actually talk to me about stuff like that you know like has a story you know yeah i, I bet yeah sucks oh. it's terrible but i think if maybe if we talk about it more and it becomes a thing that you talk about with your kids more then they'll grow up not doing it <laughs> i don't even think that's the oh. it should be talked about like kids should be comfortable to say something to someone. Yeah, exactly. And then that kid but should also be it shouldn't, put down that did it. It shouldn't just be like a reaction, like teaching kids to react to it. It should also be a preventative education. Like that's wrong, don't do that. 
Because I feel like it's more common for people to say, okay, if someone touches you, you tell someone. Instead of saying, don't touch anyone. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I think that is kind of taught, isn't it? Like, you know, kids know. Not really. Not in preschool. They start getting curious and they just start touching. I'm um, the one that has to tell them, like, hey, you can't in, do that. In, I think in first grade, <laughs> like, I don't know. I think they're old enough to know. Probably, but maybe no one ever had that conversation with that kid before. It just depends on a lot of different factors. Yeah, I need some ass whooping. <laughs> That's like your answer to everything. <laughs> yeah. and that doesn't actually solve anything. Then you put them down. It's all about education. And if you're afraid of talking about these things, if these things make you so uncomfortable that you'd rather not breach the subject, then... There's not going to be a whole lot of educating happening. But yeah, anyways, so I just wanted to clarify that, I guess. Because I, I don't know, I thought like maybe it was kind of confusing or like. There's nothing to clarify. You never even told them that story. So I didn't tell them the story, confusing. but I it was like a contradiction. You get me? Because I said my first sexual harassment was in second grade. And then I told a story about first grade when I was sexually harassed. <laughs> so I was like, okay, wait. <laughs> I didn't even I like I really talk no about it. Hold that against you. I'm not saying they are. I just wanted <laughs> to clarify that. Why would I only feel like clarifying something if someone else is bothered by it? Oh. I really wouldn't care if someone else is bothered by it. It's bothering me. So I'm clarifying it. But yeah, anyways. So our topic today is placement within special education. And David brought up the most basic question for that which is what is that yeah what is that right what does that mean so placement within special education pretty much re just refers to like um like the setting that your student will be in do you need more yeah. <laughs> explanation so I'll give examples for that, right? So that could be, stop looking at my paper. That could be um, general education classroom. But sorry, I'm still sick. I know you can hear it. Yeah. <clears throat> A general education classroom, but with supports, right? So what that would look like is they're in what David would call a quote-unquote regular classroom or gen pop right <laughs> um the real term is a general education classroom stop they can hear all of that um a general education classroom right so it'd be like what you would think of as a regular normal classroom um and then with supports so those supports would be like a one-on-one -on -one aid like an assistant that's there just working only with that one student who needs it or um, push in or pull out services, which basically they're pretty straightforward, self-explanatory terms. I'm sure you can guess what it is. No, I don't even pull out. You pull the kid out to give them extra services, pull them out of the classroom to give them extra services. Push in is <clears throat> The, what do you mean by extra services? Like they're going to teach them other stuff or help? Yeah, it depends on what services they need. So, it, yeah, like just whatever other services they might need. Like, um, for example, when I worked as a special ed teacher, 
we would have some kids that received like OT services, occupational therapy services. So they would get pulled out of my classroom sometimes and taken to the OT room, which had a bunch of like, um, like equipment for them to receive occupational therapy, right? Um, I never went into that classroom, so I don't know what kind of equipment it was, but I'm guessing like, um, I don't know, just like stuff that they could do activities on to help with their like gross motor, fine motor development yeah, skills. Yeah, so like cater to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would pull them out of the classroom, my classroom, and give them those services. Or sometimes the OT would come into the classroom, which would be a push-in service, right? They would come into the classroom and provide those services to the student within the classroom. Gotcha. Right? Um, and sometimes it's like whole group because obviously if you were working with one kid and they're all going to want to do it or whatever. So usually they try to do it whole group so that everyone's involved, everyone's involved, but they're really focusing on just that one kid or those couple of kids that they have on their caseload. Um, also we, I worked in a classroom where they received, um, like extra like math or like, um, like English, like services, I guess, or like education on that. So they would pull them out of their classroom to like a resource room. And that teacher would work specifically with them on their math because they were like so behind on their math. Like it was so hard for them to grasp those concepts that they would work specifically on math with them. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot of different types of services that can be done that way. Um, it can also be a special ed classroom, right? So for preschool, my classroom was called PALS. So it was preschool for all learners. So it was any range of abilities would be in my classroom. Um, and then services would be provided as they needed. Um, we had a special ed curriculum. We would adapt any sort of activities so that we could meet their needs and they could participate no matter what activity we were doing. Um, But once you get into the higher grades, there's other classrooms, other types of special ed classrooms, which we kind of touched on before. I don't know if you remember. Nope. At all? Nope. David, you're making me so sad. (sighs) Okay. So there's mild to moderate classrooms, which would be if they're... Oh, I can't remember now. If their um, like needs are considered to be mild to moderate. There's moderate to severe classrooms. There's aut classrooms, which are autism-only classrooms. There's ED classrooms, which are emergent, emergency... <laughs> um, emotional disturbance classrooms. Um, there's also... Aside from, like, the classroom settings, there's also, like, like if you go outside of classroom settings, there's also, like, whole campus settings that are, like, there are different options for that. And I'm not sure that that's common for all school districts, but I know LAUSD had these different campus options. So within LAUSD, which is the Los Angeles Unified School District, they had special, they have special ed centers. 
So like basically what that means is that the entire campus, the whole school, is all special needs children. Oh. So it's not like, like, oh, there's this classroom is only for special ed. It's like the whole campus is special ed. Hmm. Um, and then there's also like, obviously, like what you would consider, quote unquote, normal campuses, for lack of a better term, right? Just like that? a general campus. Yeah. What I would think of as like an inclusion campus, I guess. So it, it would just be like a normal campus, but with special education classrooms within it, which is probably what's most common. I think, yeah, like I'm, yeah, I'm sure that's most common. But um, all of that for placement, if you are someone like a parent who, um, a parent of a student with special needs, all of that, like that placement is based off of what would be the LRE for the student, which LRE stands for Least Restrictive Environment. So what do you think that would mean? Like it's not as much monitoring, more free. Just... I mean, any class is going to be monitored. You're not going to be free in any class. Yeah, but some, <laughs> obviously the kids like, like they need more, some need more monitoring than others, so. Guessing mm -hmm. this is a mild, mild to moderate, maybe more just mild. Cases. Well, it just depends. I mean, the LRE could incorporate any of these placements. It just depends on the kid. So the LRE is just what you think it is for that specific individual. So the least restrictive environment would pretty much just be based around the closest you can get to a general ed classroom within like what you would think of as like is appropriate for that individual or possible for that individual. So like if you have <clears throat> autism, right? But you're very high functioning, like you can do everything on your own. You can go to the bathroom on your own. You can get your code on by yourself. You can do math. You can do English. You can like sit down without needing someone to be there with you all the time. Then even if you have autism, even if you have an IEP, you could still be placed in a general ed classroom, right? Let's say you just need help like with some basic stuff right? Like for you to be able to be successful in the classroom. So you'd be in a general ed classroom with a one-on-one -on -one aid. Or if you're not very good at like fine motor skills, like using a pencil or small things, then you would be pulled out for OT services within a general ed classroom. But if you're, you have autism, but it's like severe and like you're 12 years old, but you still have diapers. Like you can't sit down for long periods of time. You like have a lot of behaviors that are very disruptive or that maybe cause harm to yourself or to others or whatever, right? 
then the least restrictive environment for you would be a special ed classroom, either mild to moderate or moderate to severe, depending on what like your IEP team's opinion would be, I guess. Does that make sense? I think so. I don't know. It's a lot coming at everyone right now, so I'm not sure. <laughs> That's why I always check in with you because for me, like, I don't know, you're kind of like my guidepost to make sure that everyone kind of understands. But I also feel like you freaking space out all the time, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> so LRE. Least restrictive environment. It's just a term for any environment any of any of those environments that i just mentioned or any other type of environment that the school district seems might like offer you, it seems like you mentioned everything it wasn't everything i th i know that there's other types of classrooms i just okay. couldn't really remember gotcha. there's and then it also depends on the school district or the state or the terms could be different depending on what school district or what state you're in you get me like i don't well, that's know that's fun um there's no universal stuff for all this? Well, LRE is pretty universal. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know, they use it everywhere. I'm pretty sure. Because it's stated, know. it's stated in the IDEA. Oh, yes, and the IDEA course. is universal. I think it's like a federal, like, thing. Okay. Um, if you are a special ed parent, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that you become very familiar with the IDEA and that you know what your rights are as a parent. Um, because a lot of you have the same time, rights as anyone else. What do you mean? I don't know. Well, like, like your rights within special ed as as a parent of a special education, yeah, a student in special education. What's different? Special ed versus that. Okay, well, what do you think their rights are? Like everyone else's? Which you are. Well, yeah, you don't even know exactly. This is America, do so, what you want. No. Nobody does what they want in this country. There's laws. You can't just go around murdering people. Oh my God, not like that. Well, this is a law. That's what I'm saying. What's the law? Know the law and know your rights. That's like a whole other episode. I'm not even going to go into that right now. Because um, there's a lot of stuff. But, um, <laughs> and if you're already spacing out, if I start talking about laws and like. I'm not spacing out. <laughs> just a lot of new stuff to take in. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm just going to leave it at that. If you're a parent with the, of a student that has special needs. Um, Look into, just Google it, look into IDEA and just become very familiar with your rights because it's one of those things that, I mean, with LAUSD, I guess I didn't experience it too much. I think it's, I think it's like what you say, you had some examples, like people are just scared, they don't know what they're going to do to the kid. And it's like, nah, man, it's your kid, like you can pull them out of this stuff, you can do whatever. Yeah, find yeah. another program if you don't like this one. A lot of parents, number one, like you said, are scared. A lot of parents don't know anything about special education. A lot of parents feel or don't feel confident in what they do know about special education. And a lot of parents obviously are very emotional when it comes to this topic because you're talking about your kid, right? Um, 
And all of these things, unfortunately, school districts know that. And sometimes they try to take advantage of that. Um, like I said, I didn't see it too much when I was working in LAUSD. But here in Oregon, <laughs> it does seem to be like a very, very big problem. Um, and I don't even have very much experience within special ed here because I'm not a special ed teacher here. But like, I don't know, it's just almost like they, I mean, if you fight for it, obviously they can't deny these things to you. But they know most people don't know and most people aren't going to push back. So they don't even present you with the options that you actually have mm. so that you don't go for those options. Request them and all that. <laughs> that way, like, okay, pretty much the response that I got when I asked about what options that specific school that they were assigned to had or the school district had, they pretty much said we don't give them any options so that we can put them in general ed classrooms. Oh. <laughs> Which obviously I was not happy with. So I went ahead and printed out a bunch of resources for that parent. And then I had a private meeting with that parent and I told them all the options that mm -hmm. they had. And I told them how to like file complaints and how to like, go through due process and all this other stuff. Um, get fired. I didn't work for them. You don't play ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, just make sure that you know your rights and don't be afraid to say anything. Um, maybe you're not the expert in this, but you are the expert on your own kid. Um, so don't, free, don't be afraid to speak up about it and don't be afraid to push back if you don't like any of the options that they're presenting to you. And make sure you do your research like with IDA and stuff so that you know what the options are that they're required to offer you, um, whether they are presenting them to you or not. Those are the options that they have to, by law, offer you. Um, so, yeah. That's on a federal level? level? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's a, a federal law. That's why like LRE, it, it's like, in there like it's part of it so i'm pretty sure that's like a universal term or nationwide term gotcha um but yeah it has to be within what the team decides is the least restrictive environment so if you're a high functioning individual with autism i can't place you at a special ed center because you're perfectly capable of functioning within a general ed classroom. Does that make sense? Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I did kind of want to get into, oh, and actually there's uh, some resources that I found for any of you that might want to look more into special education and be more informed about special education. There's one, a website called specialeducationguide.com. And they have a ton of resources there. But one thing that I found that was I thought was pretty cool because it can be very intimidating and confusing when and we're not supposed to do this. But in my experience, it happens a lot. Right. We're not supposed to talk to parents using like LRE and OTS and 
like ed classroom and blah, blah blah right because nobody knows what that means so you're supposed to talk to them in terms that they can understand right yeah um but it does happen a lot so it can be very intimidating and confusing when you're at an iep meeting um so something that i found on specialeducationguide.com was a special education dictionary so it has like a big list of a whole bunch of special ed terms um and the definitions so that way you can kind of refer to that and like okay, feel yeah. a little more confident when you ask, do you guys use the acronyms or do you say the actual whole you're supposed to say the whole thing yeah. and like explain what it is but at IEP meetings that I've been to it happens a lot where and I don't know that people are doing it on purpose it's just kind of like you're used to talking to it's other people not, yeah. that know what it means so you're just kind of like well the LRE blah 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 you know yeah. <laughs> um, and you don't really catch it like it's it's hard to switch yeah. I then guess most people are going to say like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. And most parents, like, yeah, exactly. They, they're not going to ask, like, okay, well, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Like, they don't want to be annoying. They don't want to look dumb. They don't want to look uninformed. They don't ask questions, want people. it to take forever or whatever. But, ask um, questions. Yes. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to say I don't like that. Um, or F off. <laughs> My kid. Yeah, exactly. I kill you. <laughs> Another one is autismspeaks.org. They have um, a guide to IEPs, which I thought was really cool because a lot of people don't know what an IEP is. And so, again, in order to, like, empower yourself to be the advocate that your child needs, um, you should look into IEPs and what an IEP is and know your rights and blah, 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 whatever. Um, and there's also an advocacy toolkit on there, which is awesome. <laughs> what is that? Oh. Oh. Can't tell the time. So the advocacy toolkit, I don't know what it is exactly, right? Because I didn't go through it too much. But um, basically what I would assume it is, is like just like a kit to help you become an advocate for your child. So like a lot of parents don't really know, like, what does that mean? Like advocate, what, like what are you talking about, right? Like, and then especially if you've had kids before, then you're like, okay, well, I've never had to really do anything for my kids before, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just kind of to help you get started on on standing up for your kid and fighting for your kid's rights and fighting for what your kid needs and stuff. Um, I also found ChristopherReeve.org, which I thought was pretty cool. So it's a resource for people that are living with paralysis. Um, Is that Superman? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, but yeah, and there's a lot of, again, a lot of resources on there for you, but there's also a lot of stuff on like, um, like navigating um, special education and um, becoming an advocate and like even things that you can do like in your regular day-to-day -day life and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah. Anyways. Back to placement. <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember 
And this is kind of why I wanted to, part of the reason, part of the reason was informing people about it and making sure that people know kind of what the options are because apparently school districts are failing to give them those options, right? Um, but part of it was also because a while back, maybe like three or four years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was like this huge thing within LAUSD where it was like a big debate on whether they were going to close down all of the special ed centers or not. No, I don't remember that at all. It was like in the news a lot. And like people were like protesting or like going to like the LAUSD offices or whatever. I don't remember what. But it was like this whole big thing. Um and again, I'm going to kind of focus more on LAUSD because I haven't really seen, in other districts that I've worked at, I haven't really seen any special ed centers. So I don't know if they're very common across other school districts, I guess. But um, sure. within LAUSD, right, it was a huge debate. And basically what people were saying was that special ed centers were pretty much just like segregating the general ed population from the special ed population. Yeah, I mix. I can see that because I thought the whole point is they want to mix them with gen pop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the whole point. The whole point is to meet the needs of those individual students, okay. right? I guess, yeah. Um, but that did become a very big topic and the word inclusion became like this huge buzzword, right? That even now, like inclusion is like a big thing, like anywhere kind of that you go within special ed. I mean, probably if you're not somehow involved with special ed, then you probably don't really hear that word very much. Um, but even like articles coming out about like inclusion in the workplace, right? So like, um, I forgot what the show it's called. I think it's called Unemployables, The Unemployables or something like that. There's a show and it's a pretty cool show. You guys should watch it or check it out. At least one episode if you've never heard of it. Um, but pretty much it's about people with disabilities that are trying to find jobs. And it's like really hard for them, of course, to find jobs, um, especially depending on what the disability is or what their needs yeah. are. But um, a lot of the times, if you just kind of like if you're willing to accommodate and like adapt things for them, if they need it, then they can be good employees. You know, like they can keep your productivity levels or whatever it is that employers are worried about. Right. <laughs> um but yeah, check it out if you haven't heard of it. Um, but yeah, so special ed centers, um, it was like a, like a back and forth thing, whether they were going to get rid of them or not. And actually at the time I was a, um, substitute paraprofessional. So pretty much what that is, is a special ed teacher assistant. Okay. Um, and I was working a lot in those special ed centers and they were pretty amazing actually and i feel like a lot of people don't really know a lot about special education centers so from the outside looking in it probably is pretty easy to look at it like oh we're just keeping like those individuals separate from 
other individuals, right? Yeah. Um, but it was pretty awesome working there. Like it was really hard. And I, if you work in a special ed center, you're amazing because <laughs> it was really hard to work in a special ed center, at least one of the ones that I worked at, um, especially depending on the classroom that you worked in. Um, but it was really cool. Like when you think of a special ed population within a general ed campus, like what do you think of? Like what was your experience in high school or middle school or elementary with special ed students? They were just kind of roaming around. Did you really see them very much? Usually around lunch or they'll randomly come into your classroom and collect recycling. That was about it. Did you ever see them like on the football team, cheerleading team, no. chess club? Nope. Anything? It's like then they're their own world. Little like group. Yeah, and that's been my experience with special ed as well when it's within a general ed campus. So when I went to a special ed center and worked there, it was really, really awesome to see, like, even just to experience it. Like, you go from being, like, in an able person world, right, to being in their world. It's like you feel out of place, like you feel how they must feel all the time, right? <laughs> Where like everything is adapted for their needs, not yours, you know? It was pretty cool. And then they have everything, like they have baseball teams, football teams, cheerleaders, like drama club, they have like um, plays, they have like a choir or whatever you get me like all of that stuff that general education students typically get to experience within high school or middle school or elementary like they have that for them and I feel like that's a lot of the stuff that they miss out on when they're in general education campuses yeah like I never saw a student with special needs on my football team in high school no, or won't. on the cheerleading team in high school or in the band or anything, you know? And it was pretty awesome to get to, like, like I was um, the assistant coach for the baseball team for a day because <laughs> mm -hmm. I had to sub for that person. <laughs> exactly. And it was really cool. And they do, like, everything. Like, they do, like, away games and home games. And, like, that day in particular, we did an away game. So we went on the bus and they were all like, ah, like super excited. And we took the bus to another school that was a special ed center as well and had their own baseball team as well. And they played against them. And it was like that whole experience, you know, that's, yeah. I don't know. It was really, really awesome to witness and to be a part of that for that day. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize when they're, yeah. when they don't have any experience or any any other point of view, I guess, than just from the outside looking in, right? And then it's just like, just like basic things, right? It's really cool. Like even just going to the bathroom for them, right? Like you think of just like, oh, like the, the handicap accessible stall, right? 
but everything in their bathrooms was made to accommodate any of their abilities. And it was really cool. <laughs> you know, or like the cafeteria, the chairs, like the auditorium, like anything you could think of. They even had like a gym. And it was all like adapted, like equipment so that they could like anyone could use it. Anyone could use it, like any ability, right? <laughs> and it's, I don't know, it was really cool. And also just to walk into that campus and everyone around you has special needs, yeah. you know, like to walk onto a campus for them and feel like it's their environment, you know, like they're surrounded by individuals that they can relate to instead of feeling like an outcast or like they can only relate to that little small group of people that are within their community within that school does that make sense yeah i don't know i thought it was amazing yeah, it sounds <laughs> cool for sure um so I, I i was really sad when that came up and i just kind of wanted to put that out there in case it was still being debated <laughs> or it does become debated at some point How in time long ago was it well from what i remember it was like three or four years ago because that's when i was working okay. as a paraprofessional but it kind of always comes up. And I did find an article. It was from the LA School Reporter. And it comes up usually within budgets or like cutting costs. That's what I said. That like everything you're saying, that sounds. Yeah. Really and your head is just like cha-ching, cha-ching, yeah. right? <laughs> but um, one quote that I found, and it was in regards to cutting costs for LAUSD. It says, one strategy being used is identifying, identifying children in the infant and preschool years to help integrate them sooner into the general ed population, which then cuts referrals to expensive special ed centers. So I think maybe that's part of the reason that it even came up in the first place is just like LAUSD wanted to get rid of them because they were so expensive. <laughs> um, I thought it was expensive to build for sure. But I don't see it being more expensive to upkeep. Yeah. I mean, maybe as you go along when you have to do repairs and stuff. But it depends because when you think of a regular high school, for example, there is like an actual football like field. And for the special ed centers, I don't think that they really had like what you would think of as like a typical football field. Right. And I think a lot of the times they end up kind of borrowing from other schools as oh, well. Yeah, other schools do that too, though. Um, privacy and parks. So that's something where like, okay, we're to, like to build it. It probably wasn't as expensive as a regular high school. Or maybe like it kind of balanced out the cost because they didn't have a baseball field or a football field necessarily. So it was kind of like, like a makeshift one or like they had to go to other schools and borrow their fields, you know? No, I don't know. I don't think that still makes a difference in cost. I don't know. I think probably football fields are expensive, aren't they? If it's a fancy one, sure. If it's a whatever one, which most. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so I think that's part of the reason that it was even like being debated in the first place. Well, yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. I'm sure it's like super expensive. They probably are more expensive to run because everyone's probably paid more. And because it's special ed. 
Yeah, well, special ed teachers, I think, do get paid more than general ed teachers, like on average. And then also you have to employ... I know the... I know paraprofessionals or special ed TAs do get paid more than regular TAs as well because you have to go through all this training and stuff. Um, and probably you have to have more staff because it can't just be a classroom of like 20 or 30 kids and one teacher, right? So the classroom sizes are smaller yeah. and there's more adults in the classroom than just one teacher. That's a good ratio from adults to students. Mm-hmm. For preschool, it's 10 to 1. I don't know what it is for the exactly. higher grades. That's probably why it's expensive, too, and to keep up, upkeep all the staff you have to get. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I'm sure that they are very expensive, but it is a really, really awesome mm-hmm. <laughs> option to have, I think, if, if you are a student with, like, severe, I guess, disabilities or something that would benefit from that environment but um yeah another quote that i found from the same article it was like um i think it was like the chairman from like the committee that was like like pushing back against the school district or something um and it says i have a problem with the closure of the special ed centers and then the parents not having the ability to choose the best for their kids so i think that's probably why they didn't end up closing it well, I guess enough people protested. Yeah, well, a lot of people, I want to say that, like, the general public was, like, buying very much into this whole segregation, like, argument, because that's what I kept seeing. And so I was like, oh, God, like, they're going to close the centers down, right? Yeah. And they had, like, just kind of started working at that place not that I was afraid for my job or anything because I was a substitute but like I thought it was so cool like it was such an amazing place and I had like I never knew that it like existed and I never knew yeah. what it was you know and I was like oh like how are they gonna close it like, yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah so I, I'm pretty sure that's why they like probably parents push back a lot I'm assuming um maybe special ed teachers also this is where advocating for your student comes into play right because if you feel like your student or other students would benefit from this, then you advocate for them, you speak up for them. But um, yeah, and teachers do that a lot too. There was actually a lot of protests in in Oregon and Washington. Part of it was like teacher pay, which of course we don't get paid enough, but um, a lot of it was also, at least in Oregon, about... Um, kind of like general ed teachers being very overwhelmed by so many special education students being placed within their classrooms. And that's not to say that inclusion is a bad thing. Like it can be a very good thing, right? Like, of course, like they shouldn't be segregated or always put away somewhere, right? But um, when you're not going by what's appropriate or what's best for that individual, then it, it's not a good thing. <laughs> like, like the you teacher get not catering? Hmm? Like the teacher's not catering? Like the teacher can't cater. Yeah. Like they're not in a position where they can meet that child's needs. Yeah, that mean, yeah. 
because their needs are so great. But um, I found this article and it's from kgw.com and it's called Classrooms in Crisis. New statewide report calls student outbursts a community, uh, community issue. So it says teachers across Oregon warn that disruptive behavior from students has reached a crisis level in our classrooms. So that was part of the reason that the teachers were like on strike or like protesting um, was because they wanted to get more help, I guess, within their classrooms, like more support. They Like a lot of schools don't have like a mental health professional on campus or like on campus all the time or even like um OTs or whatever you know what I mean so that's part of the reason that they were protesting as well but there is a video attached to the article that I wanted to play for everyone to click start good evening I'm KGW investigative reporter Kristen Severance. Welcome to KGW News at 6. We're dedicating the first part of our newscast to disruptive behaviors and violent incidents happening in elementary schools. You may not have heard of this, but teachers across Oregon have told us this problem is already at a crisis level. Tonight, you'll hear from teachers across the Portland metro area, including Portland, Beaverton, North Clackamas, Hillsborough, and Gladstone. Oregon. So we asked these eight elementary school teachers from all different districts to tell us what they're seeing every day. Raise your hand if you believe classroom disruptions are at a crisis level. Everybody. Absolutely. This is a day after day experience in many classrooms. Literal screaming, like they're screaming for help, literally. And so sometimes that comes out in, you know, suicide threats or death threats. They are throwing furniture, they're running through the building, going to the office, throwing chairs at windows. Um, and it's, it's really intense. We've seen students hurting other students or throwing other belongings. Um, students uh, throwing tables over, throwing chairs at adults, at other students, wood blocks. Um, I've been called every name in the book. It's traumatizing for other kids to see yes. you being physically harmed. Have any of you been hurt? I've been punched and kicked and uh, I've had colleagues bitten, uh, slapped. Scratched, yeah, scratched with finger, fingernail. I've had fingernail marks down my arm. You're saying this happens a lot. Oh yeah, daily. Absolutely. Oh, it's daily. every day. The building. Every day. Every Absolutely. Day. I don't think parents are aware of really what goes on unless they volunteer. But so many parents aren't aware of what's going on in our schools. Those types of experiences have become so commonplace. Like kids don't go home and talk about it anymore. Classroom. Okay, so um, mainly what they're talking about is like a lot of disruptions, right? Like they said, like throwing chairs, being violent, blah, blah, blah. Um, but a lot of the times it is like behavioral outbursts. Like behavioral outbursts are a very common 
thing amongst students with special needs. Not to say that they're like bad kids or anything like that. It's just like a lot of like the way that they try to deal with like or process things is different than how we do, right? Um, for example, I worked with students that like would bite other students a lot and like really bad, like blood would be drawn, right? Like kids would have to go to the doctor afterwards and get tested for stuff, you know? But um, that behavior was because that student didn't like anyone invading their personal space, right? And so when they bit people, they found that those people would leave them alone. <laughs> so that reinforced the behavior. So then mm. they would just bite everyone that would come near yeah. them to get them to go away, right? Um, so that's just kind of something that happens. Or if if they have a lot of emotional trauma or something, then that's just kind of like how they respond to things, unfortunately, like throwing chairs and hitting people and whatnot. Um, and all like not all of those behaviors, right? But a lot of them could probably be addressed better or supported better if they changed the environment that they were in. Not to say that they all need to be put in special education classrooms necessarily, but just kind of taking a look at it and trying to figure out an actual like resolution for this issue. But um, yeah, a lot of the teachers, and it makes sense now knowing what I do know, like the response that I got when I asked about special education placement and they told me that they don't present other options to parents other than general education classrooms, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which means that a lot of students that should be in special ed classrooms are being placed in general education classrooms just because the school district doesn't want to like go through the trouble of having them placed in special ed classrooms and they don't present these options to parents. But um, yeah, in that case, it, it is like a bad thing. It does become a bad thing. Like inclusion does have a negative side to it if you're not being appropriate with it. And I try to use the word appropriate because using the word possible is kind of like too vague. You get me like anything is possible, yeah. <laughs> but appropriate, oh, yeah. like appropriate to their needs. Well, yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Cause these teachers aren't, they're not, I don't know. They're not trained. They're not like trained on that. They're, they're just... not trained on how to respond to these situations. So, yeah. I don't think it, yeah, they that... don't study any of these. It's not even just about how you respond to them. It's also knowing those like disabilities. If you don't know anything about autism, then that means you don't know anything about how a student with autism learns, which means that you don't know how to teach them. Yeah. And if you don't know how to teach them, then how are they going to learn in your classroom, right? Like, how are you going to adapt the curriculum to fit their needs if you don't even know what their needs are necessarily? Yeah. But yeah. So. Morgan, man. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to be a pretty huge problem here, I guess. Sadly, I don't know how it is in Washington because I haven't really worked very much in Washington. 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much all I have for you all today. Um, if you have any questions, of course, you can reach out to us on social media. Um, we have a Facebook, an Instagram, a Twitter, a Snapchat. We also have a website. On campuspodcast.com. Yes. Um, you can find our podcast on CastBox, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. That's it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> if you ever have any ideas for topics that you want us to cover, maybe you are the parent of a special ed student and you want us to cover a specific topic, or maybe you're just a parent or just a student. Um, oh, and another thing, students, you can advocate for yourselves too. Um, you can go over to the principal and be like, hey, I'm not happy with the situation in my classroom. Like, you need to do something about it. <laughs> you know? And if I don't think the problem is... You could advocate, but usually most people won't do anything until you put them on blast. Yeah, go put it on social media. That's what you guys do best, right? Yeah. Go to the news channels and bring up the story. I'm pretty sure Get that... their houses swatted, order a bunch of pieces <laughs> to their house. <laughs> no, don't do that. Like, no, that would just be like pranking them or something. That doesn't fix it. Sends a message. No, it does not. Um... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that any news reporter would, like, eat it up if you went up to them as a kid or as a teenager or whatever and said, hey, there's something really wrong with my classroom. I need you guys to help me. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure any reporter would be like, yes, like, cha-ching, right? Like, yeah. here comes my raise or something, you know? But, um, yeah, so you can advocate for yourselves, too. And hopefully some of you are listening to this so that you can educate yourself on different topics as well. But if you are a student that wants us to cover a specific topic that maybe you don't feel people are talking about enough or like something where you don't feel like you're being heard, reach out to us and let us know and we'll try to cover it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank Again. you. To those three of you that are listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't mind the dogs. Yeah, if you keep hearing weird noises, it's the dogs. Tune in next week. Hopefully, we'll have something new for you. Um, and we have some really cool interviews coming up as yeah. well. So stay tuned for those. And yeah. yeah. Thank you. See ya.